ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. This is Chicky Fitzgerald, and we have a great show for you today. Back by popular demand, our guest today is Liz Goodgold. Liz, welcome back. Thank you. I love to be here. <laughs> well, you are just such a breath of fresh air and such a bundle of energy that, uh, you know, I remember our, our last conversation uh you know we were t- talking about uh your red hair and your fire and and uh just before we got on the phone you were you were telling me a little bit about how you've transitioned and and that original book uh red fire branding was all about creating a brand for you and and also to be able to use that brand uh to engage customers uh for life and, you know, you also had a book about marketing and talking about, you know, the different missteps along the way that you can have in marketing. And, and now the topic of this current book that we're going to be talking about today is how to speak gooder. And, of course, the good is, is a, a play on your name. But, you know, really talking about public speaking and, and doing this in a digitally distracted world where people have so much that they can pay attention to. Um, and, and so before we dive into that, uh, or, you know, wherever this conversation takes us, because I have a feeling it's going to branch out beyond just talking about this book. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Where did you get your start? Did you decide, you know, when you were six years old that you wanted to be an author or, you know, what happened to get to you to where you are today? Sure. I think the key moment for me was when I started selling my sister's mice, unbeknownst to her, to the science department, for a dollar to feed the snake. (laughs) And that little (laughs) bit of money got me the entrepreneurial bug. I'm thinking I found out an innovative way, and I'm getting paid for it, and I'm in charge of my own destiny. I love this. (laughs) And does your sister still speak to you? <laughs> she does, even though she did complain to my mom. Mom, my mice keep disappearing. I was confident there were nine when I left, and now there are eight. And, of course, my answer is, well, there will be 24, so we don't care, right? They multiply. It's mice. And ironically, I didn't start as the entrepreneur. I did a very, very corporate path, Chicky. And I encourage people, especially millennials, and millennials more than, sorry, you and me, think about starting their own businesses, which is I love that art of R&D, which is to rip off and duplicate. So I <laughs> love the fact that I was, yeah, at a huge company. I was at Arco Oil. I was at Times Mirror. I was at McMillan Publishing. And then my last corporate job was in brand management at Quaker Oats. And what I loved about that is I got to see everything and do everything with other people's money. Right, I got absolutely. Big, huge scan data, eye tracking data, right? Eye tracking data. You beam light into someone's eyes and see how long they spend on a box of oatmeal or Cheerios or honey bunches of oats. I mean, amazing technology, promotions, coupons, product placement, Wilford Brimley advertising. So I got to see the whole enchilada, right? Loved it. And it right. was only with that knowledge that I could start my own business. And I knew that I had to leave Quaker when it wasn't the first time the CEO, Bill Smithberg, said to me, Liz, why can't you think like everybody else? <laughs> and of it. course, I'm Got thinking, it. I thought I was paid not to think like everybody else. You know, if you wanted Manila, if you wanted vanilla, then you shouldn't have hired me. And that to me was the catalyst where I said, I am clearly in the wrong park. Take all the goodness from Quaker and then go off on your own, Liz, because that's clearly where you need to be. 
Exactly. Now, you mentioned to me uh, off air that you were a single mom. Um, so were you, were you already a single mom at that time, or did that happen later in your story? It definitely happened later. So I left Quaker Oats, and within short order, I'm talking about 18 months, I am single mom and no child support and starting my own business. So not exactly part of it that fits the business plan. But I did right. it anyway, right? I had sort of, I had already started on my own and that wasn't the best time to transition. So I said, Boy, talk about sink or swim. I gotta make this a go. Yeah, no kidding. And I did. So I really did start out doing strictly exactly what I do today, brand strategy. But over the years, and let me get into that, I did diversify. So basically, I was doing big brand consulting, and I was doing speaking. But the biggest mistake I made, and I do want to share this, was that in 2007, I didn't have enough of my contracts and business process and procedures buttoned up. So when the economy took a hit, and I was one of the first people hit, because every big company said, cut the expenses. We are not paying speakers. Right? Exactly. Obama came out. These are junkets. Do not send people to Hawaii. That's where I was twice. Vegas. Live in Vegas as the speaker. All of right. those were cut off. But the biggest issue, Chicky, and it was my fault, is I wasn't 1,000% committed to making sure I, A, had signed contracts, and B, had 50% of a deposit. And see, right. if you really looked at my letters of agreement, they didn't have enough teeth in them. They weren't great contracts. So to me, and as I coach tons of other entrepreneurs, that is my key takeaway. Make sure that you have some of the business part and your contracts and you deal and handle the money. Because even if you're a not-for-profit, if you aren't bringing in revenue, you do not have a business and you will go bankrupt in short order. (laughs) You know, that is is so, so true. And I'm I'm just facing that. Uh, I'm in the midst of a a startup with, with a new technology company. And, you know, you want that first client or those first few clients so badly, right, that you're, ab- you're willing to make concessions that you never should make because the success yes. or failure is actually tied up in the level of commitment that you require from your customers. So, you know, marketing isn't enough. And, I mean, I, I think that that really is, is the bottom line message. And, and even product and services isn't enough. Um, you know, so and I know that you you learned that in that corporate world that that uh, you know Quaker couldn't have made a bad bowl of oatmeal and had Wilford Brimley sell it, right? You know, it had mm-hmm. to be a good bowl of oatmeal and it had to be priced right. They couldn't spend a dollar to make a bowl of oatmeal that they sold for twenty cents, right? And and that's really what you're saying is that we have to think about the whole package of everything that we're doing. Um, but I, I do want to, you know, dive in into this particular book and why you wrote this particular book um, about um, speaking, right, and, and public speaking uh, in particular, because that has been one of the ways that you've made money. So what, what transpired between that very difficult economic times that all of us went through in one way or another? You know, some people had corporate jobs and, and they were downsized or, or, you know, they worse, they're still making the same amount of money, but they're doing the work of three people, right? Or people like you and I who had a services-based revenue stream, which disappeared overnight because nobody could afford, um, you know, high-powered consultants. It is. So my whole goal with How to Speak Gooder was to really reflect what was going on in our economy, which was, one, everybody has ADD, right, attention deficit disorder. What the heck are you talking about? If you do not catch people early, fast, it's over. So ADD was really part of it. The second, of course, was all our wearables in digital technology. So their phone is either permanently cemented to their hand or it's attached to their wrist. And if you bore people, you know what they're going to do? Look at their phone. (laughs) Exactly. And so I knew it. So as part of that rebirth of coming out, not only did I have better contracts, trust me, I had to also change the way that I speak. 
And the big change is you no longer speak at with pe- at people, you speak with people. Mm-hmm. And we have moved just as we have with technology, with permission-based and opt-in and dialogue. The exact same thing has to happen with speaking. Right. So you old school. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say. So you you kind of revisit a little bit from from your first book about your personal branding because you're mm-hmm. still talking about the fact that if you aren't properly branding yourself, right, and uh, in, in this particular book, you talk about your visual brand. Now, you, you have leveraged that gorgeous red hair of yours, and, uh, you know, I've always loved how, you know, in your book covers and on your website, you know, you, you draw out that red where everything else really, you know, kind of uh, disappears, and that what people take away is the impact of that that very very powerful color and they associate that power even if they don't know you right or if they haven't read Mm -hmm. a previous book it it comes with you and so you have dressed to brand out stand out and and now well of course all along you've wanted to cash in as a speaker but you're talking to other people about how they can do that same thing I definitely am because here's the litmus test. Ask someone when they tell you, oh, my gosh, I heard the most amazing speaker. You just ask the simple question. Great. What was his or her name? And what I find is most people don't remember. If you are a speaker (laughs) and you don't have what I call flawless recall, you remember your name each time and every time, or at least enough of it to Google it, you have failed. Right. So branding and speaking have to go hand in hand. If right. people don't remember you, they can't do business with you. Simple exactly. as that. Well, see, I'm very lucky with that because I, I tell people I'm, I'm like Sharon Prince with a name like Chicky. I don't need uh, a, a lot of recall because there aren't a lot of me. <laughs> exactly. And that's why it's a great name. And it can you can get by as just the one name, right? You can just put right. in Chicky. They might misspell it, but if all roads on Google lead back to you, you get right. an A. But what happens to other speakers is that they forget that there needs to be a whole host of auditory and visual clues so people go, yes, I remember her. Yes, I want to do business with her. Yes, I should hire her. And, and you know, you bring up an important point. You bring up an important point there that people speak for different reasons, right? Some do public speaking because that's how they make the majority of their annual revenue. And they like being on the road. They like, uh, hopefully they like uh, Orlando and and Las Vegas because, and, and Hawaii, because that's where a lot of the speaking engagements occur. Other people are speaking because they want the consulting business. So how how do you position yourself differently, or do you think you do, in that flawless recall uh, to either just get more speaking engagements or to get what you're trying to do? Maybe it's selling books. Maybe it is uh, consulting or coaching. But you really hinted at the most important thing, which is before you hit the stage, You have to figure out what it is that you want and reverse engineer that speech to hit that objective. Ah, so I have a client, for example, absolutely brilliant woman. And so she did a great speech. The premier folks of the industry were there. She's like, but Liz, I didn't get hired. And I said, but you were on a panel with people from Yahoo, Warner Brothers, and Fox. You were the, did you let them know that you were for hire? They would have assumed, just like all those people, they're not going to go ahead and think, hey, okay, can I hire Marissa? She's sort of booked right now and got her hands full at Yahoo. So the point of it was, I said, so now when you go off to do a panel, you have to have some subtle clues to let folks know that you are available for hire as a consultant, or otherwise you won't get the business. And when but she started to implement those things, yeah. No, please go on. I want to hear your question there. No, I, I mean, I, I my my point is is subtle enough because I, I'm in a position, for instance, where the last 20 years, my primary revenue stream has been from consulting. 
And kind of on the side, I do my radio show, which is not part of my profit equation, <laughs> for better or for worse, but it, it's something I love to do. I mean, I, I, I look forward to my Fridays because this is my time to glean from the masters, right? Every single week, it's like being mm. in business school, right? Um, and then, you know, I'm also a technologist. And so, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur building a tech company. But I worry sometimes that people, you know, that if I'm subtle about the fact that I'm still available to consult, that no one will hire me. <laughs> Yet, I don't want to throw myself 100% back into consulting because I want people to know that I'm building the tech company too. So, um, you know, subtlety in sharing what, it, what your goals are. I'm just wondering about the effectiveness of that or whether you should just be unashamed about what it is that you want and, and stating it as a matter of fact or as a matter of who you are and, and why you're there, um, even though that's not the core of your speech. And we're going to talk in, in just a minute. We're going to go from, from this topic into preparing the speech, which is part two of the book of how do you, how do you actually get to where you're telling that story that's going to be beneficial for the audience, not, not for you, right? Sure. So I, want, I don't want to leave the point that you were really making here about the subtlety, and that is if you have an audience in front of you and you hit them over the head with selling, you won't get A, hired back, or B, you've done a disservice to that audience. So there is a huge school of thought out there on the speak-to-sell circuit, if you will. You tell them why they need something, but you never tell them how. And in my world, that's worthless. This is why you need to create a brand. This is the four reasons for branding. These are the benefits of branding. But if I don't give you, Chick, you one good, tasty morsel that you can truly implement, I have failed as a speaker, and I have put my own selfish goals above your needs as an audience. So that's why I don't subscribe to that theory. What I do recommend is, yes, you let those people know, and you still give them a really hearty bite of information. So Mm -hmm. if I'm giving a talk, and let's just go back to the simple example of the Yahoo people are also on my panel. And I know full well people are going, yep, they work for Yahoo, but I don't. I would 100% say, here's your first assignment on the one thing. If you only do one thing, do this to get clear on your brand. Okay. Give them that assignment and you better believe I'm going to give stories that support and demonstrate the success that my clients have achieved as a result of working with me. Got it. And Got that it. to me, Kate Frank, I never, ever think I'm the hero of my own story. My clients are the success, and therefore they can finally say, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> exactly. So, so it sounds like that's the core of Chapter 5, which is how to tell a story and how to sell a story. <laughs> and if you're really listening here and you hear a lot about storytelling, If you could only make one change, this is my number one recommendation. Don't judge your own story. And if you take this to heart, you'll hear it and you'll hear this mistake over and over again. And the mistake starts something like this. Oh, let me share with you a funny story. Oh, my God, I have the greatest story to share with you. You don't get to tell them it's a funny story. You tell the story and see if they laugh. Right? (laughs) Right? Exactly. And, I have that discussion with my 16-year-old son all the time. He'll say, oh, watch this amazing video. It's like, you know what? Your your idea of amazing and my idea of amazing are really different. It is. And so I I recommend that people keep a lot of these stories. I call them like they're your little quips in your hip. And you can trot them out as needed. So, for example, I'm coaching right now a very, very senior executive CEO of North America. And his whole thing is he's like, but Liz, stories take too long. How am I going to do this? And I said, here, let me give you a quick example. My sister's working with her three-year-old. And she simply looks at her three-year-old and she goes, what color is mommy's jacket? Red. What color are mommy's pants? Blue. What color are mommy's teeth? Yellow. (laughs) 
And that's when my sister decided, uh, I think she'll up for the whitening treatment. And she did that day. <laughs> and all the, right? So I just keep this story. And the truth is, I can tell the story in about 22 seconds. I right. can weave it in when I talk about color as a branding tool. It usually gets a laugh, so I keep it. And therefore, I am going right back to the goal of the book, which is make it more entertaining. Right. The speech is good without the story, but it's more engaging with the story. And that is what I'm trying to really share. How do you do this delicate dance of giving enough information, but giving it in a format where people go, Really? Your time's up? That was fun. Because speaking needs to be gooder and funner. <laughs> well, and you know, my my goal every time I get in front of an audience, um, you know, I, I watch other people speak, and I watch how many people come up to the stage afterwards to get their business card. And so if I if I speak and I don't have that line up there, I think, oh, man, what did I do wrong? But But to have that you know, well, chapter six, OMG, you were awesome, right? <laughs> so how do you craft that killer talk? Is it the storytelling? Um, you know, and, and when somebody hires you to speak, Liz, um, how do you knit together what is really going to jazz their audience? Because that's the, that's the whole reason why they're putting out you know, 10 plus thousand dollars, right? To have somebody of your caliber mm-hmm. come and speak to them. So the first is I am trying to get as much information as possible about that audience. But I will tell you, most of the time, the information that you get is incorrect. I was told, for example, I was going to be speaking in front of senior executives on internal branding, right? The message within a corporation. I started my speech, I literally was walking around, and I could see that when I was talking about internal, external messages, brand DNA, this wasn't the good silence, Chickie, this was the dead silence where you knew, they had no idea what I was talking about, right? The bobbing heads, bobbing heads are bad. Every time someone's bobbing their head, they're like, oh, no way, no understanding what she's talking about. And I looked, and then I said, so, and I purposely went, then I just wanted to confirm it. Right, me, to be for sure, for sure. I go up and I'm like, oh, perfect. So give me an example. So tell me, what position do you have? Well, I'm the executive assistant. And I'm thinking, and I went to the next person. And I confirmed that everybody in that room were junior folks. And so I said, oh, I'm so excited since we have such a broad variety. Let's talk about, and I completely pivoted that entire talk because it, the audience wasn't who I was told it was. Wow. So you it's do all, have to plan for the unexpected, right? Which is, is oh what you cover in, plan B. in the next chapter. Oh my gosh, you have plan B, C, and D. But the other thing that I always do is they, often I get fly, fly in the night before, I would never not attend the cocktail party. And it's not because I like to drink. I would never not attend the cocktail party because I am trying my darndest to have meaningful conversations. And I guarantee you, if I'm there on a Wednesday night for a Thursday morning talk, I am still going to incorporate things that I learned from those people into the talk the next morning. Right. So you have a a chapter called A Room with a View, setting up your room for success. So how how do you impact that? What's so odd that you would think what would it have to do, but the room is everything. Because so often, if you give a great speech, you'll wait, really? The number one complaint was it was too cold. You'll figure that a lot. Or they didn't have enough coffee. So what I always try to do is to say, I literally own this room. So what I will do is, and my mom, you know, God bless her, she passed away just a few months ago, would work with me. And she would escort people to the seats. Because what we really were doing is preventing everybody from sitting in the back. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, and you have to, you, you kind of have to get a visual of my mom as a uh, pretty strong but Jewish grandmother type. So right. no one could fight with her. I can do it. It doesn't work. <laughs> but part of it, 
you know, well, you're really going to fight with my 75-year-old mother? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> but by now, Liz, doing you... that, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, but, but I just want to quit this point. By doing that, you keep the energy up. And when I look out, I don't see a void of seats, right? I see one over here, one over here. Even if the room is, let's say, it's only 100 people, it looks like there's 12 because they're so spread out. Further, we right. know from research that laughter is contagious. The reason why you will often laugh heartier in a movie theater than at your own house watching a DVD. So I try to cram people together, make them sit next to each other, so I really have this groundswell of energy. That but is so smart. Devices, I... people, are, yeah, people sit in the back. Interesting. Yeah, one of my most successful speeches uh, was when I uh, I was charged with helping two companies merge, right? And and I was speaking to them about how their brands were perceived in the marketplace because they were competitors. And and uh, I, I had a book I had just read uh, about how important it was to take the time to get to know. Uh, you know, the other person in this particular kind of situation and, and to not be threatened. Um, and, and so I took a copy of the book and I actually ripped a page um, out of the, the book and put it on each seat. And I said to them at the end, you know, you, you sat down and you had this, this piece of paper that was ripped out of a book, but each one of you have a part of that story. So that, that physicality of of having that prop, um, you know, got us over some very rocky moments because the brands weren't perceived equally in the marketplace, and I was actually hired to tell them the truth, which wasn't wasn't necessarily that part of the message wasn't re- well received. But uh, yeah, you know, owning the room I think is is something that people don't always think about. But the grandmother uh, story that that is priceless. <laughs> So one of the other things is the title of the speech. And you talk about how to craft sexy speaking titles and downright delicious descriptions. I love your way with words. (laughs) Well, you realize that people buy a book by its cover and they buy a speech by its title. So you must make sure that a speaking title shares the benefit, the result, or the experience, or otherwise you got nada. Right. And it just becomes critical that you really understand. So I've literally had clients tell me that, okay, well, look, you know, I'm speaking. I didn't have many people show up. And I looked, true story, I looked at it and I said, really? Health Insurance 101. That's the name of your talk? (laughs) Okay, I'm not only not going to come, I'm going to run. That's like meeting someone and telling you they sell health insurance. You want to run. Right. So that's just an absolutely horrible speaking description because it fails with violating one of the first rules, which is you never, ever want to make people think that they're back in a classroom. Right? We're adults. We're hoping, you know, college, high school, those days are over. So going to something called Health Insurance 101 makes me feel, back in school and I don't really want to go back to school. <laughs> exactly. So that's something that's really important to do. And the second is you want to give them a taste of what they're really going to get or what they, you know, what it is that they really want. And so that's why it just becomes so much more important on what you do. I mean, here's an example that I hope you laugh with me. I got an invitation yesterday on Facebook to a program called Brand Strategy, How to Execute Efficiently in Reality with a Question Mark. How to Execute Efficiently in Reality. So here's (laughs) the key takeaway besides the fact that it's horrible, and that's this. You never ask questions in a speaking description. You answer them. Right. Right? Don't ask the question. Answer them. So speaking descriptions really have to, in a mouth-watering way, tell people what they're going to get. If you're going to share with me the three secrets to communicating better, great, I'm ready to go. If you're going to tell me, 
take it the reverse way, which is how not to alienate anybody and still close the sale. Got it. Those are good. How to give me tasty tidbits to make sure you close the sale each time and every time. I love it. I just did another right. one for our client right now, which is called uh, phonophobia, how to hang up your fears of telephone sales and dial in for more sales. Mm. So you're just looking for what are they going to get, but give it a little bit more interest. Right. Because it's the title that's going to make the decision. So you're really looking for what I said, I always tell people, so start with the easy way, right? The full frontal way, the really ugly, boring way, and then sexify it. But often when you do just part one, which is what I just mentioned, you'll find that people get stuck. I'm like, wait a minute, let's just peel back the layers here. If we went back to health insurance 101, what are you really going to share? And this is where you go back to your subtle sales, right? So sometimes my client will say, well, you know, I want to make sure that they hire me for them to do health insurance. I said, so basically you're going to take their time to sell them and you want them to sign up? I don't think that's exactly the right goal here. (laughs) No. Right? So let's really figure out. So eventually that description became how to understand Obamacare and pick the right health insurance program for your company. Okay? Not exactly that sexy, but it certainly was. And we did fill the room because it was filled with the right people who are the HR executives who make the health insurance decisions. So it did achieve its objective. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about actually delivering the talk. So you've gotten the engagement. You have have uh, come up with a great name. You've prepared your talk. So how do you get standing ovations and actually knock it out of the park? You do that by making sure that you have kept them entertained. You have dropped in stories. You have dropped in cool quotients. You have dropped in a little bit of wit. You have made sure that you've woven in things that are current. One of my pet peeves in life is people using old information and old examples, right? Since I'm in the branding space, I just start to roll my eyes when someone brings up Starbucks. I'm like, oh, really? What are you? You and Howard Schultz, come on. Can you just give me something? What's going on right now? Right. Right? Talk to me about what happened two weeks ago on the Tonys, for gosh sakes, right? Look at Lynn Miranda. Look at, you know, love is love is love is love. What did that do? What is his brand doing? Talk to me about hot, what's current, what makes sense. And if you don't, I really do believe, and especially when you're talking to a younger audience, they're going to go, oh, my God. Oh, she's so 1999. (laughs) And we can't afford to do that. So to me, you get standing ovations when they know you have done your homework, right? So if I was at that cocktail party, and I did, I learned that this woman was making these really beautiful purses out of Cuban boxes. I'm like, whoa, Cuban doors are now open for business. And her struggles and what she's doing with those boxes, I bought one of those on stage. I knew she would have one. I'm like, let's talk about this purse. So I'm making it interactive. I'm pulling an example. I'm talking about what's just recently changed in Cuba. And even just for giggles, because I grew up in East L.A., I make sure to start that speech in Spanish, just so all those ladies, this is the National Latino Association, could have a good chuckle, because I look like the biggest gringa in the planet. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm sure they're thinking, there's no way this woman understands one word of Spanish. So I gave them their cool quotient and I put it all together so that they went with me on this journey. They had fun. They learned tons. And best, they had a whole list of things they wanted to do. Oh, my gosh. And their checklist is, I need to understand my brand. I need to figure out how best to put that in my marketing messages. How do I create a seven-second hook? I guarantee you that those people had at least five key points and action plans. So they're going, entertained, interesting, and I have knowledge, and I have a plan of what to do? Well, that gets an A in a standing ovation. Absolutely. Well, you you also talk in this section on on delivering the talk uh, about Mm -hmm. the P's and Q's of Q&A. And and I will tell you that the Q&A 
slide that I put at the end of any presentation it is the one that I hate the most because I always think, what's going to happen if no one asks a question? Right. And so if you've really delved into that chapter, what I do is I don't take Q&A ever. So I believe that a great speech starts out pretty normal and the trajectory is such that you end on the absolute highest note. And if you follow that path where you build and build and you get better and funnier and louder, you shut up. So why would I spend all that energy to take you on a journey to pump you up to the climax and then drop you to the floor with Q&A? <laughs> so I never right. I never do Q&A, Chicky, never. So what instead I do is I the whole time I'm having a conversation. So I am walking through the room if it's small enough. I am asking questions. I'm having them turn to their neighbor. So it's not as if they have 25 questions that they've been pent up waiting for me to shut up to ask. Right. The whole time I'm letting them talk. So therefore, I always convince the meeting planner we don't need Q&A at the end. And then further, I said, I'll be at the cocktail party. I'm staying for lunch. I'll stay there right after I speak. So I'm there for the next three hours in a you know, mingling with your folks. So you don't really need to worry about it. Exactly. That's really smart. And and that, that removes that that one question about what, what does happen at the end if, if that doesn't happen. So, But you do talk about how to answer questions with finesse. I do. So one of the things that I always say is, please don't do that very pedantic insulting. Well, that's a really good question. It just doesn't seem very <laughs> genuine to me. So, of course, what if you do get a question, I like to make sure you say, repeat the question so people can hear it, not because you're necessarily yeah. stalling. But the, to me, the biggest revelation was you don't have to have all the answers. I think there is an assumption among speakers that when they ask the question, you have to be armed with the answers, and that's not the case. Right? If you were there to speak about business transition and they asked you something, well, you know, I'm really interested in human resource culture and you're thinking, don't know. <laughs> How do you sue? Right? And you don't. So here's some ideas of what you can do. You can say, wow, I don't know. That's, that's a cool. I don't know that answer. But here's the thing. Raise your hand. How many people really want to know that answer? You ask that. Would you be interested in tracking down that answer and then emailing it to all of us? And if so, come see me because I have the email of all the attendees and I'll blast it out to all of you or come up and see me, give me your business card and I'll make Fabulous. sure I forward that answer. What so is, is that in? what you're addressing, yes. you know, in chapter 14, you're talking about following up and, and you've just given a great example of how you can actually engineer that follow up when it wasn't even planned. So what other follow-up do you need to do as a part of delivering the talk that will ensure that you're asked back or passed on as, as a name for a great speaker for the next event? Yes. Yeah, so I do want to make sure that I, in fact, before I go, I typically have my follow-up email already written. And going back to the fact that I'm not trying to sell these people, right, content is king or queen, I already have that email ready to go. And it's 99% of the time, it's just even more content. So it's not my PowerPoint slides because I don't speak with PowerPoint. Again, it's a dynamic conversation, and PowerPoint right. to me makes it seem like you're doing a monologue. So for me, I will say, you know, we talked about how to create your seven-second hook, and here's four more steps to make sure you get it right so you right. know how to introduce yourself. Or I'll say, perfect, we talked about this. Click here, and here's an audio recording of how to give a better speech. And I might actually have this one, Chicky, as a matter of fact. So I have <laughs> content ready to go, and I will tweak it based upon what has happened. But I always do want to have a follow-up email ready to go. I want to get these people engaged. I want to make sure I stay connected on social media so that I might actually say, guys, you have a question? You go. So cause sometimes you get, thank goodness, some really sophisticated people and you the audience could ask questions live via Twitter. Exactly. Yes. 
And so I will answer those that way in terms of Q&A. And at the same time, of course, now I've just got more Twitter followers. And I will, and I'll continue to tweet those answers and those hashtags of the conference to make sure that those people get what they needed. Right, right. So you end the book uh, with part four, which talks about the insider secrets. And, you know, various people get invited to speak, and some are fortunate enough to turn that into a paid speaking career. Um, as an entrepreneur and, and a solopreneur uh, in the consulting arena, I have always used speaking just to reinforce my expertise, right? So it wasn't so much about being paid, although, you know, I always tried to get paid. But sometimes the payment was just being able to be in front of the room. Uh, I had shared with you before we started, I've just written uh, a new book, an allegorical business novel, and we've just rebranded the radio show to be called The Game Changer because the book is all about what it takes to change the game within your company. And I want to be known as somebody who can help people really accelerate their business and, and change the game within their industry, within their company, et cetera. So, you know, I don't want to go out on the speaker circuit like you're out on the speaker circuit. That, that is not my goal. But what insider secrets do you have for me as someone who's about to launch a new book? How can I launch that, that speaking circuit on the book and be successful in doing that? You can take a page from me, which is what I did with How to Speak Gooder, which is I bundled my book as part of a speaking fee. So if you have self-published, for example, I'm confident that some profit margins are in your favor, right? So typical books are 25 bucks, let's say, or 20 bucks if I'm bad at math. And so that instead of saying, okay, well, my speaking fee is $5,000, you can say, well, perfect. If you have 400 people, let me give everybody a copy of the book. Right. So you can see that Excellent. what's happening there is you're still getting paid, but they're getting books. And you'll see that's common. So we just had Annie Cuddy come in from Executive Presence, right? And she does the same thing. So what I like to do is to bundle the book, and therefore they don't see it so much as they're paying an honorarium as they're getting the great value of your book. Well, and not only that, <laughs> then you get to count the sale of the book as you talk about how successful the book has been. So it looks like it has uh, two benefits. It definitely has tons of benefits, and I, I will tell you that um, I didn't and I haven't worried about my sales on Amazon. I mean, if you're listening, I'd love for you to buy the book. Feel free to buy it on Amazon, but I have truly used that business as part of my bundling. So speeches at Pfizer, speeches at Abbott Labs, for example, all of those people have copies of my book, and I would rather have a few thousand people have that than to try to sell one individual. My goal was never to use this book for a bestseller. It right, was always right. to use that. And that's really what I would suggest for you as well, Chicky. And bundling it just works so great. And then as you're giving speeches, here's the other part. Either you package it as part of a speech or you bundle it in the back because none of us will make money selling a $20 book. Right, right. You know, one of my clients. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, it's not one of my goals either. So, well, it makes a lot of sense. But one of my clients wrote business storytelling for dummies, just a brilliant book. But she, it's a part of the dummy series. She also has a co-author, so you can imagine how low that royalty rate is. So what she does instead, which is something that we worked on, is selling a different package in the back of the room, so that the price point was no longer at $20, but that we had packages starting at $97. So that the average sale all of a sudden went from 20 bucks, from which you probably got $2, to something where the average price point was either 90 or $500. Interesting. And that's a much better way to go. So you, you also talk about speaking gooder on the job. So a, as an employee, you know, how can if you don't speak for a living, um, you you still can use these principles to 
to get ahead. And, and the same thing as an entrepreneur, to sell your services, to close the, the sale. So, so how can you use these, these same principles for standing on a stage in front of 1,000 people? Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I work with so many people inside of companies. We always start with the subject line. So I consider the subject line the same thing as your speaking title. So even let's say you're going to do a casual, you know, a, a small presentation in a boardroom, right? So typically in internal communication, you'll get a subject line that says uh, budget review meeting Thursday at 3 p.m., right? Which means everyone's right. ready to just roll their eyeballs. But instead, I try to sexify even the subject line using those same principles that we just mastered on speaking titles and instead say three surprising three surprising budget issues you should know, right? Or two uh, amazing ways we boosted ROI by 25%. See how Thursday right, right. right? So I take – and I teach my folks in companies how to write better subject lines. So people actually open the email, even though they're, quote, supposed to. So we do it that right, way. Right. Then even as they're presenting that deck, which, again, let's consider it's completely boring, back to my job at Quaker, right, presenting boring either marketing plans or budget plans, <laughs> I encourage them to take the same principle. So maybe they, instead of starting with, okay, we're here today, the whole idea of you're going to tell them what you're going to tell them and tell them what you told them is old school. So I encourage and train my folks to start with a story. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. But I'll have them start with a story. And it can be a simple story as if, you know, I have been working here for two years. And before that, I spent nine years over as a competitor. And this is the first time I've seen these sort of results. And let's dive in and let me share. And here's the most, here's the number one surprising thing. Right. So you're, so you see what I'm saying? We're taking the exact same principles. I have another client, uh, internal client, and her whole issue is she has to conduct a lot of these meetings via phone. She's got people in Jersey, people in Hawaii. She's got people all over the country. And she's like, Liz, it's just deadly. And I'm like, okay, so let's do the same thing. Let's warm up this audience. Right. So first of all, do your due diligence, go on LinkedIn, go on your internet, find out and get a picture of exactly who's on that phone. And then tell the people if your conference starts at 3 o'clock and you're working with that coordinator, say, hey, do me a favor. You get on seven minutes early. I just want to make sure we go over a few things. And all you're really doing is chit-chatting and getting to know that person. And yes. I armed you with questions to ask. So now you have turned a cold audience into a very warm welcome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and uh, those kinds of phone meetings are, are the bane of most corporate uh, employees' <laughs> existence. Um, because, and it's one of the reasons why in my new company I am so focused on building a team locally in Tampa because I I just do not want to run a company, even though all the tools are in place that we can run companies remotely around the world. I mean, we absolutely can. But I don't want to anymore because of that digital distraction. First of all, if you're on the phone with someone, you have no clue. You know, I mean, they might be playing War of the Worlds or something on our computer and not even paying attention to the content, right? And and so, uh, you know, I, I love that you can apply these same principles uh, no matter, you know, whether you're a public speaker or not. Right. And it's just not that hard. And I would tell you that as part of my speaking, more than half of my speaking is inside a company. Sharing and if you will, teaching how to speak gooder. So it's right. exactly these principles, whether it's starting a meeting, presenting a deck, casual conversation, networking at events, or here's the absolute killer. This happens, I get this all the time. My number one question I get is, okay, Liz, I'm waiting for the meeting to start and the CEO is there or my boss is there. What do I say? How do I do the artist <laughs> chat? Right? That's something that makes people Absolutely. really nervous. 
I'm like, okay, um, hey, how are you? How was your weekend? And it's Thursday. You feel like an idiot asking that question. <laughs> right? So, And you know afterwards, God, that was stupid. Why did I say that? Why did I say that? So what I just do is arm people with all of this info in advance. And then when it's, the time is right, they just go ahead. And they're like, oh, I know, I know exactly what to do. And you get rid of that alarm or panic. Right, right. Liz, you have given us so much practical information today, and I know that there are going to be people in the audience who would love to follow you, to talk to you about their own uh, situation, to hire you to speak at their event. How can they best get in touch with you? Sure. Please come over and join me at redfirebranding.com. Redfirebranding.com. Easily, you can send an instant message to me there. Liz at redfirebranding.com. And, of course, everything on social media is at Liz Goodgold. So you can find me on Twitter, which is my favorite social media. And I'm happy to engage and talk with people there. Right, right. Well, Liz, it has been terrific. We have been talking to Liz Goodgold today. Her book is How to Speak Gooder. Brand New Rules for Public Speaking in a Digitally Distracted World. And as we were just talking, uh, it's not just for people who do public speaking for a living. These principles that she's talking about really apply to how we communicate every day successfully in our businesses. I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy day today to listen to our show. If you're a game changer, join us on thegamechanger.network and share with us how what you've heard today has helped you to change your own game. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.